0: welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game.
1: Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Bree Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are continuing our responsible filmmaking mini-series. This time, talking all things environmentally sustainable film sets with Stephanie Dawson. Before we dive in, remember that we release bonus content for each episode over on Patreon.com/BreakingOutPod if you want to support us and get yourself even more info and resources. But enough about that. Stephanie, welcome, welcome. Can you introduce yourself and and what you do? Hi, my name is Stephanie Dawson. My current role is. I am a producer for
2: a show called Great Performances, which is produced out of WNET Channel 13 in New York City, and it's a nationally broadcasted show on PBS. Prior to that, current life, I work as a freelance production manager, line producer, line producer, producer. I also uh, currently serve as the co-chair of the, the Producers Guild Green Committee, and I am trained as a climate reality leader. Go Al Gore, and I <laughs> um, am currently involved in the what's. Known right now as the Entertainment Net Zero Accord, aka ENZA, which is an effort supported by the UNFCCC trying to get use the power of the UN to encourage our our industry to be more sustainable. And I like music and I live in Brooklyn
1: (laughs) and I'm originally from Cincinnati, Ohio.
2: I think that's enough <laughs> to get started. <laughs> <That's>,
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do you do you ever sleep? You're a part yeah. of like f- <laughs> five organizations and have a job. Well, My I goodness. did that.
2: I just gave you the environmental stuff. I also co-founded a group called Women Independent Producers, which we focused on women identified uh, independent producers, so non-studio folk, folk who, who understand the hard work of, of getting a project over the finish line. There's other things. I'm, I, I'm producing, <laughs> I'm in in the development stage of producing a feature film that I co-wrote in 2020. Over the pandemic shutdown, it, it let me realign and reassess that I really love writing. I love storytelling generally, but writing is something I hadn't really done, it, you know, allowed myself to do. So a director I had been working with was like, let's write something together. And so I was watching self-tapes yesterday and it was just like, these are words that I help write. <laughs> and these are audition tapes like you know it, It's but it was beautiful to see that so do I sleep I I do sleep but less <laughs> than I should I think but I've been sure. trying to meditate throughout at least twice a day so that helps I think that offsets the sleep I think you just need a rest time for the brain um, mm. but that's a different podcast I guess
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah we'll, we'll bring you back when we're, we do our how to stop freaking out series the self help um, series self care exactly. <laughs> Yeah, maybe we should a do a self-care series we we've done sporadic episodes but
2: yeah. i think that's very necessary especially for folks who are trying to do this in an unorthodox way because we tend to burn ourselves out and then mm. either disappear and, and give up for good or decide that that's the way to be is always burnt out and it it can it doesn't have to be that way i guess so again no, it doesn't podcast for yeah, another time absolutely.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so let's go back a little bit further, because despite all of these incredible things that you're doing in the film world, and the sustainability world, when you were in college, you actually studied science and engineering. Is that right? That's correct. I, I went into college. I was a straight A student. I was a valedictorian.
2: Everybody told me, you're smart. You should do the smart thing. And I got a scholarship to, to school. I mean, it's, it's kind of it, I, looking back on it now that I can look back on it. Th- we kind of tell people if you you do this, then you should do that, you know? So I, I listened. Mm-hmm. I was someone who loved filmmaking from a very young age, but um, was told, well, since you're smart, you should do the hard thing. So I studied, I went in studying paper science engineering, which was the hardest major, like literally, like I, I kid you <laughs> not, it, it was young hubris, maybe arrogance, and also me <laughs> riding on the, on the highs of... Me feeling that I'm so smart, so I picked the hardest major. I went to Miami Univ- University, which is in Oxford, Ohio. I studied uh, paper science engineering, and midway through, I switched to environmental science and and found like that was really what I wanted to do. But then uh, when it came time to graduate and find a job, I was able to to secure a job at what was then Anderson Consulting and what became Accenture. So for the next six years, like didn't do engineering, didn't do environmental. I did. IT consulting for six years. In my 20s, I was traveling to and fro, um, collecting hotel points and airline miles and thinking I was all this and and, um, <laughs> and when 9/11 happened, you know there were two years that I flew 50 weeks out of the year, literally flying out Monday, flying back Friday or Thursday. and oh my gosh. And yeah, and it, it, I, I, I feel like that movie up in the air life, the George Clooney Anna Kendrick mm-hmm. movie is like my life, like I that opening scene where it's like a, a ninja style, he, put, he puts a suitcase in and then he he's like the last person on the plane. I, I did that, like I, I could time leaving home so I was the last person to get on the plane, I could get through security and everything. And when 9-11 happened and we were grounded and it, all of a sudden I developed a fear of, of planes. Um, and my dad worked for an airline, like I had been flying since I was a child. Like when all my friends talked about road trips, for me it was airline trips, like I always flew. And so to have the thing that I loved since I was a kid not, not only not be available, but also to be a source of fear was that was life changing. So I, so I kind of had this moment of like, if I'm going to die, let me die doing something I love. And that is film. So I figured out a way to go to film school. I, I quit my what my dad calls my good job. I quit my good yeah. job <laughs> to uh, I went to Full Sail, um, which at the time was a one year associate's program for film and television production. And I was I was almost thirty. Like I turned thirty at Full Sail. I'd already had a career. Like I felt like I could get an MFA or I could get a practical degree. So you know, Full Sail is very hands-on um, type of school. And one of the reasons I chose Full sales, I, I went to I spent uh, almost better part of a year going back and forth to different film schools, visiting. I went out to USC, I saw the cool campus and how, you know, heard about all the highfalutin people that go there and, and not, not just attend, but like all the people that go back and George Lucas gives all this money and Steven Spielberg and, and all this. And and I kind of got swept up into that. But when I went to Columbia, when I was in, in New York, one of the grad students there said that some people spend three years and X number of thousands of dollars and realize they just like to watch movies. And that struck me. I was like, you know what? I love watching movies. I love talking about movies, 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 movies. And I need a practical education. I think a theoretical education would would make me... You know, I, I really took to heart what that, what that student said. And I don't remember his name, but um, he was another turning point in my trajectory. So I'm probably ahead of your questions. But yeah, so I started out in engineering, uh, went into IT consulting, then pivoted, went back to film. And then after... Uh, a few years of, like, I went to school. I, I went back home for a little bit. I came to New York in in two thousand seven, so just before the financial crisis. So there weren't there wasn't sure. a lot of jobs yeah. around. <laughs> so I ended up working a lot in reality um, television, and and then I worked for a hotel for a year, like when when things were drying up. But the hotel while I was working for the hotel, I was I was interning for Joyce Pierpoline, who's an independent producer. She produced the film Teeth that Mitchell Lichtenstein mm-hmm. directed. So I was able to do a free internship because I had a job that paid me. And through that, I met a ton of people in the industry. I, I also worked on some projects. The people that I'd met in that reality TV life were all trying to make their own short films, and their own feature films. So I was, you know, but on the weekdays working either at a hotel or whatever gig I had. And on the weekends, I was ADing shorts and, and super low budget, like no budget projects just to get my foot in the door and get some get some experience. I tried out for the AD, the DGA AD training program and, and failed twice, so so I, <laughs> I, I figured ADing was not going to be my future, but I really liked I really liked breaking down a script when I was even at Full Sail. I kind of knew that producing was a thing for me. I loved breaking down uh, scripts. I loved figuring out what resources we need, putting the budget together, all the organizational things. It kind of fed into the things that I do normally is, is the organizational piece, so ADing was, an, I felt like a natural progression on my way to becoming a producer because I would be breaking down the script and I'd be on set and managing and liaising between the director and the producer. I worked on an NYU students film. I worked on a feature film that has yet to come out, uh, but we we you know we made it through. And then eventually I started gigging again and I went back and forth again. So this is probably 2010 and we still were coming out of a financial crisis. So uh, independent film was coming back slowly, but surely, but, but I had already, you know, in this industry, you get known for something. So you start out, I started out in, in, in reality. So I kept getting those, those jobs. And I eventually realized like, in order to change, you need to declare it. You need to say, this is what I'm doing now. So I stopped taking the reality jobs and started only looking for scripted. And, um, it, as it turned out, Joyce's assistant had moved on. So she called me to see if I could be her new assistant. So I then, I was I was her assistant for almost three years, and during that time we were in development hell <laughs> over a couple projects that she was uh, bringing to the screen. And I, I learned a lot. Also, while I was working for her, she spent some some time in the summer in, in Cannes, and so and I would be in the office. So she was like, you know, as long as the office is taken care of, if you want to go work on a film, feel free to do so. So I worked on like three different films over the course of those two years, and one of them was with Larry Fessenden at Glass Eye Picks, and he was someone who was super into being uh environmentally responsible. So it was it was one of the first times that I recognized oh it you need the top down. You need the person in charge to declare this is what I want and and everybody will kind of follow suit. Even even begrudgingly, they will follow suit mm-hmm. if if the head of the show um, does that. So he was like, I want us to recycle. I want us to, you know, we can have vegetarian meals more than more often than not. We were shooting in, I feel like it was in Connecticut. We were shooting at a reservoir in Connecticut. The movie was called Beneath and it was a horror film. Glass Eye Picks, Larry Fenton does mostly, yeah. mostly horror. We had to find out where to recycle cans and bottles in the middle of Connecticut, and we had to find out how you know could we compost some food, and could we find a caterer who could accommodate people's meals. Uh, we did have a couple vegan folks as well, so it kind of made it easier to, to do the vegetarian thing. So I thought that was you know that was a real eye opening moment, and then it, and then it came back to me like oh I can do the thing that I did in college, and I can work on film, and like oh like it's this makes sense. So that was a long way to say kind of where I started, and and kind of how I the turning point to how I got to where I am now. I don't know what, what your other questions are, but that's uh hopefully a good start, I guess.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. Before we really dive into the sustainability aspect, what is your from a creative perspective, what is your like genre or just type of narrative work that you're interested in producing
2: and now writing as well? That's a great question. I love everything, but at different points in my life. Like I love to watch sci-fi and fantasy. That is my bag like Disney plus taking on Star Wars is like a gift and a curse because now I can watch all of my favorite Star Wars movies. But then I know that they have a parade of stormtroopers in the park every day. And I'm just like, it's a sacrilege. How can you parade stormtroopers? Like Darth Vader has a show? Are you kidding? Darth Vader's the baddest guy in the universe. Like in the galaxy. Why are we, why are we doing this? But anyway, I'm a Star Wars fan. I also really love a good rom-com. I kind of miss the 80s and 90s rom-coms. While I understand now looking back at them, they were quite problematic. There's definitely some stuff that I realized some of the messages I got were probably not the right messages. You know, they're kind of like comfort food, like a good rom-com is like comfort food. And I also grew up on, I love coming of age films. So I also, John Hughes films, I grew up loving them, knowing now that there are some problematic areas in those films. So, so coming of age is probably the what I write the most. I think how we decide who we are, how we decide to tell the world who we are, how we grapple with can we change who we are if we don't like it, or what what are all the things that make us who we are, and do we have to hold on to those things for the rest of our lives? Those kinds of questions I find are, are those are the ones that don't let me go. Like I always think of those, and then I just put them in different places, like.
1: Maybe that happens in space, or maybe that happens mm-hmm. in a you know in the heart of a rom com. So you you were working on this this horror film in Connecticut. You're learning that you can find a way to marry the stuff that you studied in college and cared about, and the the filmmaking that had become your passion. So at what point did you start to get like more directly involved with sustainability efforts in film?
2: It was probably a couple years after that, but it was sprinkling in through. So like it's kind of like. I feel like sometimes once you see something, you can't unsee it. So once I Mm -hmm. saw we can be more responsible, I would slowly start doing more of that on my other production. So even on the big reality shows that I worked on, it's like, where's the recycling can? Like just asking production to to provide a recycling can. Asking, you know, what happened? Can we donate this food? We have so much food after catering, you know, and literally like, I don't, I don't know if the good samaritan law really covers this but literally going through the streets with trays of food or or like packing lunches and handing it out to the homeless people cuz unfortunately in New York City there's no no lack of homeless people and it, you know it also was very personal because on that particular crew we had we had crew members who were living check to check and had unfortunately had to sleep on the street one or two nights or had been without a home for a period of time so it was also very it was very easy to recruit Supporters who were like, basically, literally after each meal, we would pack it up and say, you know, let's let's go deliver this to the people on the street or and eventually we got more organized. We call church or, or a nearby food kitchen and they would come pick it up. But we were not doing that with the blessing of production like this was our sure. department just you know enacting these things in our own way and if those things weren't available i would like literally if, if we couldn't recycle at the office i would literally make a connect, collection and then i would bring it home then i started when composting became a thing in the city curbside composting but then there you could go to the the green markets i would find out where the green market is near where we sh- where we were shooting where our office was and then put out a compost bin and then deliver the compost and i did even up through um one of the last places i worked was like this corporate office i'm, I'm wrestling with that but i feel like sometimes when you approach management they they just give you that stink eye and it's just like i don't want to i don't want to have another person tell me no so i just mm-hmm. would bring in a compost bin one one of this fancy schmancy mm-hmm. office that we were in they had a, a nice espresso machine where people would grind the beans all day and then they just minute after minute people just throwing the Coffee grounds into the trash, and again, I can't unsee it. Like I've, I've totally, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it hurts me. It's, it's an emotional sting to see what could be composted or otherwise not put in the landfill be put into the trash, absent mindedly. Like I think one of the biggest things is we need to rethink what waste is and trash is. We need to change our relationship to these things. Just because you're done with it doesn't mean it's trash it could be used, reused, it could be donated, it could go somewhere else. Just because you don't just because there's no convenient place to put it right now doesn't mean we don't we don't use our imaginations and find a place to put it. So, I brought in a compost bin and I would, you know, and and slowly I would I would just first I'd leave the bin out there. Then I put a little sign and with I, I like I I went to went to the clip art school and I was like you know, put put little images like your banana peels and your apple cores and all those coffee grinds and all those like pictures of things like, hey people, you can put these things in the compost bin. And then whenever I had to go deliver, because this this particular job I'm talking about, it was near Union Square, and that market comes every like three days a week. So I would literally leave a little sign: compost bin is being emptied. We'll be right back. Um, so and, and and slowly but surely, people would put more and more stuff into the compost bin and and it became like I was Santa Claus because every once in a while it's like who who is emptying this this compost bin. We always see that it's there. So so anyway, I was I was infiltrating in in, in, a, in a certain way. But then I would work on projects like I did this Netflix film Holiday Rush and Poke Productions. I believe um, one of the one of the producers Liz Cullen was just adamant about being more sustainable so she made sure we had water bottles and like it was it was like I was in the production office for that film and it was like a mandate like every single person when they get started they should need to get a water bottle on their first day and we put their name on it like so it was again when the when the person at the top says this is what we're going to do this is what we're going to do and and that was really as far as she mandated but I was like hey Hey, so so Liz really thinks we should be green. So can we get a um, recycling bin? And then the production coordinator was like, "Yeah, we can get a recycling bin." And then it's like, "Oh, can we compost?" Like it became <laughs> because I again I found a place that was not too far. I think three or four blocks away, uh, a market that I could drop off the compost. So and I don't know if that's legal in the city, <laughs> but you know it, it was technically business waste, but it was such a low amount that it looked like personal waste. I think Liz was also very adamant that we didn't have a lot of like either styrofoam or non, you know, like immediate disposable um, plateware and silverware. We had real plateware and silverware, and I washed it. Like I, I, I will do whatever I need to do to make sure that we can that people use the thing. Because if it's there and it's available and it's easy and it's clean and it's safe, like all those things, people will use it. But if it's if there's a little bit of inconvenience, if I gotta search for something, if I gotta hunt for something, then it's harder for people to 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 kind of fall into it unless they also like me. Can't unsee it, and then have developed mm-hmm. like a, like an almost a reaction. Like it's like <laughs> nails on a chalkboard to watch somebody throw <laughs> compost, you know, food waste into the trash. So anyway, I I, I kind of was doing that on my own, and then then I went to the PGA Green Committee. Um, Producers Guild has multiple committees, you know, on, on, about various things, and the Green Committee deals with sustainability and it's a combination of information sharing, liaising with the city, and you know, if we can have. You know any kind of legal uh, ramifications? We try to do that. They also started a an interguild alliance between the different unions and guilds in New York City. I'm I'm the New York City based. It, originally, we were divided across east and west. So PGA East was everything east of the Mississippi, and West is west of the Mississippi. Uh, but now we are more of a like all PGA in terms of the green committee. Um, but at the time, the interguild network really. Was all the East Coast folks, so they have quarterly meetings with, you know, all of the unions and guilds, particularly IA and uh, team. The teamsters are there almost every time. Camera, camera department, art department. So we're getting more and more of the folks. We hope, we hope we finally got SAG. And we've we've got Broadway, the Broadway Green Alliance, also Local One has representation there. So we meet on a regular basis to share information, to let people know what we're doing and what you can do. The Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment shows up um, to those meetings pretty regularly. Also the state film office has come to some meetings. So, so I got involved with PGA Green now almost four years, three years ago, and through them learned about companies like Earth Angel. Uh, Emily O'Brien is just renaissance woman in so many ways. She she started this company. So it's a woman-owned, woman-started company that will train eco-PAs. They'll come to your set and train your various departments on how they can be more uh, sustainable within their department. They'll also talk to production to, to figure out how overall we can have a more blanket system. They have Bins and, and like a system to bring to you so you can you know separate things in a in a good way and just basically do like an assessment and then input the things that that you could enact on your set and then they also do the reporting so you know how how much was diverted from landfill how much energy did you save how many water bottles you know weren't what how many times did you not need to use a reusable water bottle and so I learned about Earth Angel and then through PGA through the PGA really got to have opportunities working with now this this UN effort which is you know we're connected to people across the across the globe. Oh one thing I have to add actually another big factor that kind of helped me in this whole journey is the Green Production Guide. It's a free online service. Anyone can use it. You don't necessarily have to use it for film. You can use it for any event, live events, music, anything like that. But it is a toolkit. It has Case studies. It has videos. Like if you don't want to read something, there's a video. If you want to read something but don't want it to be too long, there's a case study that's like a page or too long. If you want to read the, the science, there are white papers that you can download. And then there's also a toolkit that you can download that includes draft emails to your crew. It includes the their carbon calculator. It includes their uh, sustainability planner, essentially, and a lumber
1: calculator. A make sure that I hit all the parts of it. And we'll definitely link to this, everybody. Uh, yes, the, yeah, the, the link will be this, in yeah. the in the episode notes. So no worries on that. Don't You don't have to hunt it down. We've hunted it down for you. Yes, <laughs> and there's, there's also a vendor
2: guide so you can find vendors in your area. So it's, a, it's it has its own kind of education on not just what you can do, but who are the vendors or the resources that can help you do it. So I, I found that to be another thing that has helped me along. It's like, yes, we can do this. It, it's there. It's you know, like it's it's not like this far off thing. We can be more sustainable, and so yeah. So I'm in my current um, role. I as as I keep finding, I'm working on a on a set where where you know your production team is like, well, we'd like to do something more sustainable, but we but there's always the but. There's always the no. Sure, uh, it's too expensive. Well, um, I mm-hmm. think one of the things that the Green Production Guide kind of outlines is. It's actually not too expensive. If you buy water bottles, it might be an overall capital cost at the beginning. but over the course of your production, you're saving money. I was trying to do this calculation yesterday. like if, if a 24 pack of water bottles, and we I usually gauge about three water bottles a person, sometimes five if it's a really hot day, and they never finish them. Knock on wood. They yeah. they it's yeah. very often that you find did. water bottles that are barely sipped or or maybe, maybe there's some left in it. You can probably take care of eight people uh, with a case of water. That and in New York City, there's a five cent deposit on that water bottle <clears throat> on top of the cost of the water bottle. If you buy Pre-branded bottles that are marked with your production number one. People already they think they're cool because they got their bottle. You have to label Mm -hmm. the bottle though. The bottle is always very important. Also, people usually finish their personal water bottle. They don't always finish the disposable water bottle. And a five-gallon jug of water, I think it's like six hundred ounces, so it can almost carry like twelve people. So over the course of the same production, you don't have the deposit bottle on deposit on the big five-gallon jug, and you can cover more people with fewer bottles. So it's actually, it. there might be an, an initial capital cost, but it's actually going to save you in the long run. And you don't have all that trash. You don't have those bottles. Even, even if you believe that we can recycle those bottles, which which is another area of, of concern, I mean, the, the local recycling service. I'm blanking on their name right now, but they 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 do tours. It's really kind of cool to do a tour of the recycling plant. And you can they've even done virtual tours. We've had we had one of those for our event for PGA green. They tell you how, you know, when you recycle a bottle, please leave the cap on because they're they're doing everything through this mechanical process. And so little things get caught and they gum up the works. So leave the cap on mm-hmm. and there's this little machine that goes pew, pew, pew. And it shoots it basically between air and and density and also it, it can just it can route paper from bottles from cans so i i used to think that like is mixed recycling really gonna work but now i've seen the machine and i see how it goes pew, pew, pew. um so so that's you know so that's fe- feasible but at the end of the day it's a business like the material has to be able to be used for something and unfortunately we have not created a that a really large post market for water bottles. So that's why you get, you know, the island in the middle of the ocean that just is filled Mm -hmm. with plastic. So, so anyway, I've, you know, through this process, learned about these different resources, learned about ways that on, on set we can be more sustainable. And then I try to take them into my own life. And yeah, I, I th- feel like I've, I've left your question in the dust. I don't even remember. <laughs> no, but, This has all been uh, great.
1: Yeah. When when we don't interrupt you, it means that we are wrapped. Like <laughs> yeah, <great>.
2: We're
0: touching <laughs> all the bases.
1: <laughs> so let's, let's recenter on set and kind of get more practical for our, for our audience. What would you say is like a common misconception when it comes to making sets great? in particular?
2: A misconception. I mean, the biggest misconception is that it's too expensive. Mm. Sure. And, and the reality is, so we've we've determined through different reports and the Green Production Guide website has one of the reports that the there's this group called the Sustainable Production Alliance, which is n- made up of several studios and streamers that have come together. And they, they are a part of the Green Production Guide, as is the Producers Guild uh, Foundation. Um, so they did a survey of productions uh, over the course of I think a year and a half and came up with what are the areas of production that need to be addressed the most. And energy consumption it came out to be the biggest one. So if we think about how much gas we need to put into a diesel generator or how much how much fuel we spend uh, with our drivers sitting in cars, keeping them air conditioned, those kinds of things feel like that's less expensive then maybe we don't need so many cars maybe we have a smaller footprint and we move everybody inside it's it's kind of a psyche psyche thing for for drivers to want to keep the car running even when they're not going anywhere even if they even if they go inside the store like i don't know where this came from and i don't know what it's going to take to get out of that mindset but that's something we have to unlearn the idea of idling for no reason if we look at reexamining our energy use and implementing batteries or tie-ins or using a renewable source of energy. There's more and more, there's more technology that, that use um, alternative sources of of energy for being on set even when you're remote. I think So I think that's one of the challenges. We They look at the sticker shock of the initial capital investment and don't think about the ongoing cost of upkeep and say, oh, well, it's too expensive. So I think number one, actually, when you run the numbers, it can be the same cost or less expensive to use the more environmentally responsible choice. Number two is we have seven years. We have seven years until we've we've committed to irreversible damage. And I don't think we really have that long because I, I come from a family that has respiratory issues in my family and they're getting worse. We are seeing more and more diseases that we wouldn't have seen if the temperature wasn't as hot and we weren't go- cutting down trees and going into habitats that we hadn't been going into before. So so one of the biggest misconceptions is how that it will cost more. Another misconception is that the crew won't do it. I have found that it, particularly people in um no matter what department there's always like well, the crew won't do it. They won't do it. They won't do it. And what I found when you talk to crew members is they feel production or the producers or the people in charge don't give them what they need in order to be more sustainable so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: if if the again it it has to be top down the producer or the cast member or or the director someone needs to set the example and be consistent you know hold hold themselves accountable to that that plan that they put out into the world that they want to be more sustainable and then provide the opportunity instead like get rid of any any opportunity for someone to throw something in the trash put trash cans on the other side of the uh, set and put out recycling in the more accessible places. Because nine times out of 10, the thing that you want to get rid of can be recycled or can be composted. Another thing that I find is that we don't necessarily always need a virgin material. Like when you're going to look at your costumes, you could get something from a resale shop. You get something from a, you know buy something that's secondhand that can achieve the goal, especially when you're talking about clothes that should be lived in, clothes that look like the character has had them before and they're not brand new because you buy something new and then distress it as opposed Mm to buying something that's already meets what you need it to to look like. And I know people feel ooey gooey, you know, using, using the shared coffee or the shared water bottle or wearing clothes that have been worn before. They get washed. Like that's like, I don't, don't, like it's, it's one of those things where we, so part of it is mindset. Part of it is, is getting out of the the, the place that we've always been and thinking that the only way to have something is it be new and shiny and we have the car that's running all the time and we have this diesel generator going all the time and realize, oh, if we just, uh, I think Emily said this at the in the um, panel last year, we are in the business of making things up. We we act like we're going to space all the time. We act, we create world. We have the imagination. We have the possibility to create a reality that represents what can be more helpful for us? So let's think about instead of having that diesel generator, which is also very loud, we got to take it far away from camera, but we can't have it too far away because then it's then it won't be able to deliver the energy we need. So why don't we look at batteries? Batteries are silent. You know, like sometimes when we take these solutions, we realize, oh, actually it's better all around. I mean, that, that may not be for 100%, but if, you, if we stop and think about the way things have always been and start thinking, well, let's, how can we make it better? How can we imagine a present, not just a future, where we are being good stewards to our Earth? It's also, we are finding, or just acknowledging more and more that as we hurt the environment, we are also hurting people who are marginalized anyway. The, the, mm-hmm. the impact of the climate crisis is affecting the global South it's affecting every location we shoot in we go we go to all these locations and we bring all these people from out of town and we shoot in low income neighborhoods or we shoot cuz cuz the, the the neighborhoods that have a lot of money they fight they pay every politician to never have a film film in the neighborhood. So it's all the people who don't have that power who we end up we end up filming in the neighborhood. And we leave behind trash, we take over the street, we are we have loud noises. We have crew members who are so busy doing whatever they do that they may, they may not be as considerate as they could be of the neighbors. So we also need to be responsible humans. We need to be responsible to each other. And so being more sustainable also I think ha- has the knock-on effect of also being more good stewards
1: and good neighbors to each other. No, I think that's really important. Absolutely, and yeah. b- before I have another question, I just want to call out something that you said about like, you know, nobody thinks the crew will do it, but it's oftentimes that the people in charge like won't make it easy on them. And I think that we can expand that out to a lot of subjects when it comes to filmmaking. I feel like yeah. <laughs> a lot of the times people have all these excuses of like, well, well, nobody will nobody will follow. Everyone's lazy. And it's like, yeah, but also everyone's busy. And when you're in charge, it is your responsibility to set the people up around you up for success. And I. Yes. Feel Like we so rarely do that. We expect other people to do the work that we want them to do without like prepping them in any way. You know, you can think about it in marketing. I cannot tell you how many like film producers I meet with who are like, oh, my cast and crew won't share the project that we're posting. I'm like, well, did you give them anything to share? They're like, well, you know, there's pictures out there. I'm like, cool, there's pictures out there. Like, did you, (laughs) did you send them anything specifically? Did you make them content that they wouldn't want to share? It's like people are are willing to do a lot but you have to give them something and mm-hmm. I, I just think that's an important thing to call out here not just for environmental sustainability but for collaboration in general absolutely and i think you'll find people step up when you give them the opportunity
2: and you let them know mm-hmm. what is the desired behavior what's the desired outcome and i'm going to support you i'm going to be here to help you through this i mean one of the big things that earth angel and, and folks like that who do kind of eco sustainability on your sets Sometimes they set up a competition, sometimes a little healthy competition Mm -hmm. is all they need. So the departments are like, well, I, you know, like it becomes, it becomes a thing of like, well, we, we've composted more than you did this season. Like, you know, (laughs) and so it, not only will the crew do it, they will happily do it. They will, they will move heaven and earth to make sure that they're adhering (laughs) to this, but you have to give them the tools and you have to treat them like humans. You know what I mean? Like if you make Mm -hmm. it difficult, if you, if you put some obstacle or friction between the behavior they're currently doing and the one you want them to do, they will not do it.
1: And you know what? Yeah. Neither
2: will you. So like, it's not that the crew is this other extraterrestrial being that won't follow rules that you set aside. They're humans just like you are. They got jobs just like you do. But if you make it, if you put it in front of you, I think the marketing one is perfect. I have a film that I worked on a couple years ago. is coming out later this month. My producer sent us an email. He's like, here's the here's the trailer on YouTube. Here's the, the, the article. Here's some other things you can share. I would have loved if he'd given us a trailer so we can post it directly. But you know what? He gave sure. me the link. So I know I can't put the trailer on, on Instagram, but I can put a link on Facebook and I can put a link on some of these other things. And that is what you need. And and we've been, he's their organization has been tagging us individually, like on all the things. So I'm like, oh, I got tagged. Let me repost. So I think
1: you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Doing things that make it easier Set people up for success. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, that's I stole that from my mom. I, my mom, when I was a kid, was like, that was her entire ethos of, like, raising kids. is like, I am not going to be mad at my kids for acting like kids. I am going to set them up for success, you know, model the way that I want them to behave, that I want them to behave around others, and that's all I can do. Like, that's, it's such a useful phrase. It is. Um, so, yeah. so, speaking of different departments, uh, have you found, like, specific things that work better for camera department versus the art department? Like what, what are department level sustainability hacks that you've learned over the course of your time being a, a climate reality person?
2: Uh, that's a good question. I mainly work in the production department, so that's the one I have the most um, visibility into. And so production, sure. so like usually production, like production coordinating, UPM, line producer, account, accounting. In uh, any of the office coordinators, we tend to be in the office. So the sure. office environment is a great place to enact some sustainability measures. And the, I'll plug the, the Green Production Guide yet again. Another thing it has is infographics of on set in different places where you can make changes on set uh, in the office, different places you can make changes in the office. So you know, one of the biggest things we do in the production office is push paper. You know the distro. Sure. We got to distri- distribute the new schedule, the new scripts, the new this, and the new that, and with this huge copy machine, and then we have this huge like iron mountain shredding thing that comes at the end of the year for all of these this paper. So one thing you can do in the production department is to reduce the amount of paper. More and more, I have actors come to me with their scripts on their phone. They'd rather just be able to scroll through on their phone. Uh, There's apps like Scriptation that will let you highlight and make notes on some sort of tablet uh, device. And then when a new version of the script is going to come out, it will copy the notes over. So there are tools that you can use um, to facilitate being more digital on set. So what we encourage people is to do more of an opt-in policy as opposed to an opt-out in terms of getting things printed. We just assume call sheets, schedules, scripts, everything is going to be delivered digitally unless you specifically request um sending them because Otherwise, I mean, I've had so many so many times also where there's call sheets on the street. Like, I mean, some of these mm-hmm. things don't even, mm-hmm. they, you hand them to somebody who's, like you said, who's busy, who's running, they've got their hands full. So giving them the paper is not always the best option anyway. Also in the office, you know, when we can think about the meals, a lot of times in the office, instead of having the catered meals, we have we, we go to a restaurant and we, we order in simply because, you know, the crew is farther away and it's just easier to have the lunches and the meals be in the office. So, you know, looking at more options that don't uh, I mean luckily in New York City we can't they don't do cyrofoam anymore but options that are more vegetarian or more vegan uh, again it's just about the global impact, the amount of land and water and, and, and agriculture that's used to feed the animals to feed to feed us can mm-hmm. be reduced and circumvented if we just eat, more vegetables plant-based. and fruits and plant-based. Thank you. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> uh, all of the, so we can we can kind of circumvent that by eating more of a plant-based meal. It's your own choice. You know, I'm, I, we, I don't push it on people, but I just encourage like, you know, think about the impact. And so when you're making your food choices, think more plant-based. And in the production office, we can also just decide where we're ordering from today. And we just magically, <laughs> we give everybody the plant-based menu. And if, you know, a certain department doesn't want to order with us, that's fine. But if we start steering them through that that direction, that that's a key. If you make it easy for them to go that ex- direction. Look at that! Setting them up for success. <laughs> number for success.
1: I love that. I love the opt-in policy. I think that's really smart because if you've put the onus on other people to change their behavior first, a lot of times that's harder, both just because you're not really showing them the way that you want to go. And also that's an additional step they need to take, which is fully unnecessary. And it also makes it harder for those people who wanted to not have the paper to say, I don't want the paper, because now you're like, oh, I
2: got to decide not to have the paper for this person. If I know only five people need scripts, I know every day, just print those five scripts, you know, and, and what, or, or the Sides, rather, but yeah, just so again, it, it's it's allowing it's setting the goal. What we want it, we want to have less waste. We want to use less energy. We want to not use so much virgin material. So let's try to model that behavior and then give our team members the ability to follow in our footsteps or to, to kind of continue what we're putting it up. Another thing in production that can be helpful is. When you, and some people balk at this, but hopefully we'll get to a place where it, it is more accepted. But if you can centralize your procurement, so instead of having the art department coordinator buy everything for the art department and the props coordinator or the, the assistant props buy everything for props and the costume design buy everything for costumes. When it's things that the office can, the production office folks can purchase, you can buy, you can save money by buying in bulk. And you can also help facilitate the, the alternate material um, so we don't necessarily need to buy reams and reams of paper and have printers and everything for every office. If it's all centralized and we're doing it this way in the in the production office we can kind of set that you know that kind of can permeate uh, other places. I, I don't I'm, I'm not in the wardrobe or the makeup department but I've, I've learned about an app called sync on set which uh, which facilitates the wardrobe and camera departments to take photos. And keep track of those photos so they can keep the continuity, but not have to print them all out. So that's one benefit for the vanities, as as we say. Um, another th- thing in terms of wardrobe is to encourage either buying things from thrift stores and secondhand, you know, buying fewer things from those online retailers that bring a lot of boxes into the office, or thinking ahead about how we're going to how we're going to get rid of all this stuff once we've bought it. So instead of just buying everything and then Two days before wrap, we're like, okay, what, what are we going to do? And then we'll have a sale, and then what we don't sell, we're going to throw away. Like, th- as you buy it, figuring out where, where it's going to end up, um, that's something that can be helpful for all of the departments that have some sort of procurement opportunities. There are more and more waste streams that are being identified for each department there's an organization that will collect your old makeup wands your old mascara wands if they use them to clean animals and, and clean the the like especially rescue animals like i just learned about this yesterday <laughs> instead of single use like makeup application pads that they have ones that you can use over and over again and you can sanitize them so so there's there's uh, there are alternative pro- products. Also, you know, in costume they they have to wash a lot of clothes. Instead of getting the big jug of detergent, now there's these dehydrated options that are completely compostable that they they come in these little sheets um, and you can wash just like you normally do. And then instead of using dryer sheets, you can use dryer balls that are reusable. So there's there's lots of different like household solutions that we can bring on set and be more sustainable. In terms of camera, a lot of camera stuff luckily is Already, we don't. They don't have the paper as much. A lot of things are digitized. Sure, but it's the energy usage. It's the batteries. It's the uh, use of energy. So if we can bring, set them up for success by providing a, you know, a source of power that is a, a, a renewable source of energy, um, that can help the, the camera department. I'm going through the whole thing. Grip, grip and electric mm-hmm. again. Those departments don't take a lot of paper or a lot of materials and a lot of their stuff is reusable anyway. So we're, we're already renting things that can be reusable. Again, it's just providing clean energy sources and looking at batteries or, or alternative fuel sources instead of diesel generators for your set. Generally, a very good point that someone um, made is like a smaller footprint. Like, do we need to have all the trucks? Maybe we can move some things inside. Maybe we don't need everybody here today. Maybe we don't need base camp to be a mile or two away from where we're shooting, so that we have a, a you know driver doing roundies all day. So think about how big the footprint is. Does it need to be that big? Can we make it smaller by by any degree? Can we hire more locally so we don't have that we're not flying you know our cast or our our principals uh, across the country for every single every single shoot that we're doing. Trying to think of other departments. Transportation is a big one. You know, if you can electrify your fleet, that would be tremendous. But we also need our studios to provide charging stations. So that's something that the studios are doing more of and, and the industry is doing more kind of leaning on the the physical spaces where we film to provide charging stations and provide alternative fueling options for for vehicles. But again, if you have a smaller footprint, that also helps, you know, renting electric cars, renting hybrids, all of those Encouraging things. Encouraging carpools. Encouraging and car- public yeah. transportation. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that's like general crew kinds of things. But I mean, I, this can be a conversation. I don't have to prescribe. I love that, you, you know, uh, if there's anything I missed or that you want to sh- throw in there. I'm happy. Well, I was just
1: going to recommend, especially for the the indie folks out there, like most indie folks know a handful of other productions probably happening around the same time, or they know Mm -hmm. other producers. So like something that you were saying, Stephanie, about like the centralization of the production office and making that the hub for like printing for purchasing. Why not also do that with other film sets especially when you're all working small like hey uh, we need like a handful of props if you don't if you know pool together your resources do you already have access to these props or wardrobe items if not what are you needing to purchase like let's combine our script breakdowns and see if we can purchase things that would work for both of our sets and share it will save both of us money and we won't need to purchase quite as many new things i think like just asking people around you, not just for borrowing, but also for purchasing can probably be a, a big boon. I know that like, for my old projects, like when we would buy a prop, we, I would always make sure when I was at networking nights to be like, Oh, by the way, if you ever need a fake machete, I got you. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> So, you know, make it available to other people and, and make that part of the process. Anytime you start something new, anytime you see a friend starting something new, reach out and say, hey, what are the things on your breakdown? How can we help so that you can save money so that I can help us both be more environmentally sustainable and we can be in it together? That's a great point. And so particularly the
2: production coordinators are in the um, assistant... Production office coordinators are really good about that. So like Local 161, they have a group where they're, we're, we're ending our show. We need tents and tables and chairs and all that stuff. And so they do sell that around. But I think that could be great for every any kind of coordinator. Props, art department coordinator, they can send things around. When the art department rep for the InterGuild they were talking about how they have a whole bunch of paint that they, you know, either need to get mm-hmm. rid of or they can, can can get to another production. So networking with other people in your area is great. You can do you can do that in person. You can do that on, online. There's a lot of groups mm-hmm. on, on various social media networks that can connect you to other people, and you can post, "I'm looking for this" or "I need this." And then there's also just outside of film, there's buy nothing groups, and there's the you know free cycle and and all these kinds of services that give connect you to someone who needs to get rid of something or allows you to post. What you're looking for, and you'd be surprised. Like, I, there's things that I've seen on the Buy Group. People are very specific. I need this thing from this year, and lo and behold, somebody has it. Like, um, <laughs> believe it or not, the, the, most of the things you need have already been created, they're already in the world. So, it's just for
1: you to find them and implement them. That's a great point. That's awesome. So uh, shifting gears slightly, are there any like eco-friendly upgrades you've seen made that while well-intentioned might actually be kind of harmful? Like, are there shortcuts that people take or options that people go for that you're like, I know what you're trying to do. That's actually making it worse though. Hmm. It's a good question. And I'm going to have to think, think on that one for a bit. I mean, like I,
2: I've learned more recently that we went so plastic water bottles, not so great. Then we sure. went to the Tetra Pack and like just water brands like that, and we're like, that's better. I'm like it's still plastic. So now we're you're pricing more and more metal water uh, bottles, mm-hmm. and so the, you know, the the challenge around finding a solution for water. The giving the crew a water bottle that can be refilled is is really the better option. But we understand that sometimes people want to have something; they just walk away, and or they just they're a day player, whatever. They didn't get to the office, whatever. They, they need one single water bottle. That the what I've gathered, and that there's the app, the podcast "How to Save a Planet" uh, had a good episode on this. Of you know, glass can be more recyclable, like almost infinitely recyclable. Metal is more on that spectrum of infinitely recyclable. So that's why we're moving toward metal. And ultimately, you know, if we don't need it, let's not bring it on on to set at all. So I think another challenge is like bringing in, maybe we're going to bring in a lot of bins and we don't need every bin. Like one thing I saw on for Pixar, they in in this Disney Plus um, show, they talked about the different, different elements of Pixar. And one of the things they talked about is they've removed all trash cans from anywhere. There's one trash can and it's only in one central place. Everybody has a recycling bin. So that is, you know, another thing where like providing people a a recycling bin right next to a trash can gives them the opportunity. Cause a lot of people kind of, they get confused. Oh, is this recyclable? Can I recycle this or do I not? So if you give them the option to throw it in the trash, they more often than not will throw it in the trash. Mm-hmm. And then folks like this, like Earth Angel and other eco uh, set folks, they actually go through all of the bins and they re, you know, they basically realign sort things. It. So you can't, yeah, they sort it. So you can't go wrong. But if you just give them one bin and just make it a recycling bin, it also kind of encourages people to think, oh, maybe I don't, maybe this thing isn't trash. Do their
1: own research because it's, it's honestly easier to figure out if it's recyclable than walk all the way around the building to find the trash can.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly.
1: Right.
2: <laughs> exactly. And and if you have if you can afford having a, an an external service, great. If you can't afford having an ex- external service, as you're hiring, ask your department heads, ask the people the se- second in, de- in command, ask the coordinators. So, have you worked on an eco production? Have you have, do you have experience with this? How do you personally feel? Is this something that you'd be interested in doing if we gave you the tools would you be willing to facilitate or or communicate to your team? So, then you also have all these different ambassadors throughout your production who are encouraging their coworkers to behave in this way. So, so then it's not so much about, you know having to travel so far it's like oh we're working together we're, we're helping each other like it's it's not like it's us and them they're making me recycle or they're making me compost it's like oh no we're, we're doing this as a team and I feel supported and I know that the tools are there it's just another way to think about it that's awesome
1: yeah do you since we we generally our audience is, is more like smaller teams so maybe like 10 15 people on a set and that's it probably don't have a separate office do you have any advice for those smaller projects that really want to make a an impact but probably Probably can't hire on up uh, folks like Earth Angel. Probably can't hire on a separate coordinator. Like, what is advice that you have for those those smaller teams on much lower budgets?
2: Absolutely, and and I think number one thing is to recognize you're already being more environmentally friendly because <laughs> you have a smaller mm-hmm. crew. Th- those productions are absolutely already doing good work because they are probably smaller, uh, probably having fewer vehicles and, and fewer you know, use, using less energy. So that's, so one is to already realize that it's, you're not behind the eight ball simply because it's a smaller production. I think that one thing I encourage everybody to do is check out the green production guide, or you can check out Albert, which is the, the UK equivalent of the green production guide. They're free, they're online services, they have training, they have resources. So educate yourself while you're not in production, while you're not in the thick of things, because that can give you thought process and
1: things in, in different ways of thinking of things before you get on set. Sure. Before it's an emergency and you're stressed out and you're like, I just want to get this done. Exactly. And then again, you can still ask your department
2: heads or your, you know, even if you're a quote unquote small production, your costume designer, your makeup person, you can still ask them, Hey, do you have, do you have experience working in sustainability? Would you be willing to do that? Hey, let me give you the green production guide. There's uh, the peach is the, I'm going to, I'm going to forget the actual acronym, but the, it's basically the, it's a spreadsheet essentially that goes department by department what you can do, to be more stable in your department. You can give that person that section and just say, "Hey, are these some things you think you can implement?" and leave it to them. You know, give them their budget, let them let them kind of run with it. You can still you can still recycle, you can still compost even if you're small. Uh, in places like New York City, again, there there's either curbside well, curbside comp- composting. Unfortunately, we're we're having trouble they may get rid of that, but they they have these weekly composting collection points like at Union Square at the various green markets. So if you're able to compost or if you're able to divert your organic waste, that's great. If you can look at alternative sources of energies, if you can have more batteries on set than something like a generator, that, you know, will help. Your wardrobe, when you're working lower budget, you probably are looking at secondhand clothing anyway. And if you have, if your, your props department, if even if they're making something, if they can make it with non-virgin materials, if they can go to a materials for the arts or, you know, a a thrift store or, you know, a place to get something that's not a a brand new thing and reuse something, you probably save money and you're, you're being more environmentally responsible there because if it's it's basically recycling that thing. So um, there's still things you can do even if you're a smaller show. Oh, the other thing that I failed to mention that I definitely should mention is we, we now have a recognition of a climate lens. So one thing you can do in your smaller productions is include the climate crisis in the story, in the script writing, in the screenwriting. You don't have to make it uh, the central part of your film, but if you can acknowledge that climate change exists within the world of your of your project, you will actually be helping the the global kind of consensus around how we move forward. One of the you know, one of the things we we do as storytellers is is help each other make sense of the world that we're in. We help each other realize difficult situations and how we can work through them. But what we've had in our film main media is a total disregard for climate change. We act like it doesn't exist. And unless it's a it's a disaster movie. So we've we've basically been programmed to think that climate change means disaster when it's actually just reality. Like Mm -hmm. we have we have climate refugees. We don't call them climate refugees because they're leaving because of famine. They're leaving because of drought. But that's climate like Mm -hmm. those things exist. So if we can acknowledge that you know, it's hotter than normal. We can acknowledge that the the air is, is, you know, harder to breathe here, that there's more storms or any of these things that we're experiencing as a humanity around the climate crisis within the story. It can be in your romance. It can be in your coming of age story. Just acknowledging the climate crisis can also help. And it it basically allows us as people who are in the audience, I think, recognize more that, yes, we're going through this thing. And then it turns me on to, oh, there's, so it's not just me. And it's not so hard or difficult and it's not doom
1: and gloom like it, it just slowly opens the door that's so interesting that is Stephanie. Really
0: interesting, because
1: that that reminds me of like I remember a couple of years ago about the show Insecure making sure that they always had like condoms in frame when yes. characters were having mm-hmm. sex it's like yes. it's that but for the environment so like why, yes. why what if your characters yeah. have a compost bin and that's just like it's acknowledged at some point in the scene like what if your characters are doing the sustainable choices as well so you're educating not just your crew and the people around you but also the people who are viewing the film that's so smart yes yeah. and
2: you can extend it in your art department like maybe don't have a gas stove try to have an electric stove as much as possible never have a, a disposable water bottle that any character has one thing in the marketing that i'm i'm not seeing that i would love to see is for every q a do not have a plastic water bottle let's have a cup you know when you go on talk shows they have a, a mm. cup maybe there's a, a reusable water bottle maybe there's a metal so, something other than that plastic water bottle because every junk junket junket i see has a plastic water bottle and I think we we know better and we can do better. Um, another th- thing I would add to this discussion is, and I'm blanking on the woman who coined the phrase, but her comment was, at this point, if you do not include the climate crisis in your story, you're essentially making science fiction hmm. because that's the world we're living in now. On that line, there's a couple efforts around climate storytelling. Uh, one is the Good Energy Stories Playbook. is uh, It was just released April 19th. It is an organization that consults film and television production on having more of a climate lens but they've created now an online resource it's free there's information from scientists information from filmmakers from showrunners talking about how you can infuse climate into your stories there's there's lists of character types there's lists storyline plots there's Imagining the future in different ways. Uh, there's, if you want to know more about the science, you can click on scientists and learn more about them. So it's that's a, a great resource. There's also the NRDC Rewrite the Future Initiative. They had a panel at Sundance last year. I'm actually learning more about them at. at um, part of the the WGA and the PGA have come together to create a climate storytelling task force. Uh, initiative. So the NRDC is coming to talk to us tomorrow. It's another thing I forgot to mention at the top. So yeah, I do not sleep (laughs) there. And then the Hollywood Climate Summit, which is in its third year, it's, it's produced by Yeah Impact, which is young youth entertainment activists out of LA. They put on, this year it's going to be virtual and in person. They've done a climate storytelling pitch fest. So people could submit their stories and they've got big, big wigs like Netflix and Amazon coming to hear these pitches. So to try to encourage more and more climate storytelling, the climate, the Hollywood Climate Summit is free virtually. And it's, I think quite a few of the things that are in person, or if you're in LA are free, um, it's HollywoodClimateSummit.com. And that's happening June 22nd to the 26th. So it's free to, to check it out, go on demand and and do that. There's a, a new series on Apple TV Plus called Extrapolations. uh, And it is a show, an environmental show, plus the way they executed it was more more sustainable. There's a panel at Tribeca
1: that's free. Something I did want to ask about was the, the impact of COVID on sustainability. Like what has been the impact of like COVID onset PPE on the ability for film sets to be more sustainable?
2: Yeah, at the start of the lockdown around COVID, the biggest change was a mental one. Like we felt like the biggest change was a mental one. We felt like we couldn't share anything. We couldn't touch anything.
1: So we had to have everything be disposable. Communal communal crafty kind of went out the window. Like you you do have to have separate packages.
2: Yeah. On the one side, it was beneficial because with paperwork, we felt like we weren't sure if it spread over surfaces. So we went more digital on, on a lot of paperwork and accounting. So that helped. We had two years of, thinking, oh, well, I don't need to fill this out on paper. And we have apps and we have- Getting used to the digital processes. Absolutely. But on the flip side, things like, you know, the shared coffee and the water dispenser, Mm -hmm. um, those things felt like we couldn't do it. And, And crafty need to be individually wrapped. And so that's so much more packaging because everybody's getting their meal. And one of my good friends works for, works at NBC. And he talked about, he- every day did his order and then he'd come in and there's like the the entrees in one package and then the side is in the other package and then the sauces are each in their own little package and it's just and by the time you get it it's cold anyway because it's not you know the catering had those trays so that was kind of a negative but after a a few months we, we realized that it wasn't really a surface contact thing we could still eat vegan meals even even um during covid and we've recognized that the actual passing of the virus it's very minimal in terms of those those shared things like water bottle dispensers and, and the shared coffee dispensers, so we were able to go back to that. On the green production guide, there's a COVID resources section, so it talks about how you can still okay. be sustainable during COVID. Another thing is there's an, a, a company called TerraCycle, um, which you may or may not have heard of, but they're... Impetus is to to make everything recyclable. So they have scientists that are researching all, all the time on on how to recycle even the hardest to recycle materials. They created a a process where you can recycle PPE. So everything oh, but the bio. Mm, wow. So you can't recycle the obviously the actual swab, the biohazard stuff, but the gloves, the masks, the the shields, all of those things mm-hmm. you can recycle them. So TerraCycle's Methodology, like I said, it's a you know recycling is a business, so there has to be an aftermarket piece to it. So they, what you do is you pay for the the box that you collect the PPE in, and it's a big box, so you can get you can do at least half of. I mean, depending on how big your show is, but you you can a box a week or something like it's it's not it's not so small that you fill it up every day. And then within the cost of purchasing the box, you've also that includes the shipping so it comes to you you fill it up you ship it back they get, they recycle it and you can keep going so so what what I think the biggest effect was mindset, and then we got to get back sure. into a mindset that we can still work together, we can be in proximity with each other and still feel safe and and um, take care of each other. Wow, well,
1: yeah, so I mean, I guess if i'm I'm looking at this whole conversation that we've had from the outside, the biggest takeaways for me is use the green production guide, which there will be a link to in our episode yeah. notes, and that there is probably a way to recycle or compost everything. There's probably a way to do everything on set better. You just have to look for it.
2: Yeah. You have to. You have to look for it. You have to pre-plan. You have
1: to think with the end in mind, which
2: is what we do with movies anyway. So if you can think ahead before it's too late, before you're in the thick of it and it's too long, too late, too long, and be creative, it doesn't. Ha- if it's not a film solution, maybe that solution is in another market, but you. We're ordering things all the time, so we can we can order things uh, from there anyway. And just that it's comforting to hear that a lot of
0: the stuff we do on the indie side, especially the very small budgeted indie side, is already sustainable, you know, like carpooling and and borrowing of stuff and reusing of
2: stuff.
1: We're not as far behind as we want.
2: <laughs> we didn't know that we were already eco masters, yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes, being broke really does make you a great steward of the environment.
2: Well it, it it causes you to be more creative. And that's that's, sure. that's the right. I think the end of the day, the biggest takeaway is you know you have this goal. We need to find a creative way to get there. If we got lots of money, we sometimes think that oh we'll just have money take care of it. But when you don't have that money, like how can I how can I figure this out? You can also get prizes and and
1: recognition by by doing this thing. And you do not have to have a bazillion dollar budget to do it. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's something that maybe some of the more skeptical people in the audience might want to consider is like, hey, you can get attention for this. You can make this part of your marketing. (laughs) And like, not only, you know, even if you're doing it for like a kind of selfish or narcissistic reason, like you're still doing good things. And then, hey, now more people realize how easy it can be, how rewarding it can be. And even if you're in it for like the marketing, you're still spreading useful information to people. So like, you know, I think that's probably a net positive.
2: It's a net positive and more and more funds are funding either your production or your content being more green or climate lens. So use it to get money. Like we, it, yeah. I mean, we don't have to all be, you know, <laughs> this Mother Teresa in terms of trying to do this. We, we we know this is a business. We know that you know this; these things are not free. But if you you can find more financing resources that don't have to deal with the fact that you're working in film, but the fact that sure. you're doing something more sustainable with with your city or met, or area that you're filming in. Sometimes they have grants. They have programs to reduce the cost of things if you're doing it in a more sustainable way. So you know, look at look at it as a way to save money or make more money as you're while you're promoting your film and we also you know diverted this much from the landfill like you, you use it in any way you need to
1: whatever you need to be motivated use that thing right. to get you to that next level cuz the end goal is just more sustainability and whatever else you're getting out of that journey is still gonna be fine as long as your ultimate goal is sustainability. Yeah, because I, w- I was thinking, what if we're wrong? What if the climate crisis isn't really a crisis? And, but I still work to compost
2: and, and reuse and create you know, good compost for future plants. And I've diverted, I've used less oil coming out of the ground and I've you know pr- polluted less into the air and I've cut down less trees because I'm using less paper. What if climate, the climate crisis isn't real? We don't lose anything. And at the end of the day, things going into landfill is still not good. Even if, even right. if you don't believe in the climate crisis, we all know that landfills are no good. Uh, and they also go into poorer neighborhoods and neighborhoods where people are marginalized. So if you can divert things from the landfill, if you don't believe in the climate crisis just believe that you can divert things from the landfill and maybe that can be your, your uh,
1: motivating factor. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Stephanie. We really, really appreciate you having this conversation with us. Yeah.
2: Thank you for doing it. I think, thank you for having this kind of segment this month. Thank you for highlighting green production. I think it's, it's not just a, a nice thing to do or nice thing to have. I think it's a necessity. I do believe there is a climate crisis and I do believe that we don't have to stop making films. We can be responsible, be good neighbors, and still, you know, bring our stories to life. So thank you for you know facilitating. Hopefully, one person in the audience has gained one thing that they didn't know before, and will implement it, and and that'll snowball, and we'll see you know more filmmakers move in this way.
1: I mean, you you've definitely inspired
2: me. So yeah, you got your I, one. I love it. Well, another <laughs> thing is we we're trying to move toward more independent films to be trained in this way. Sundance, the Sundance Collab had a session a couple weeks ago, and then also the Green the Green Production Guide. There's also a Green Film School Alliance. So that's also in the green production guide. Yeah. So trying to train the next generation of filmmakers to be more sustainable before they go into the into the uh, production world, so it becomes second nature to them, and it's almost required as opposed to you know needing to invent the wheel. I know I keep. <laughs> Same. It just comes to me as it, so I don't want to just that. No, that's that. great.
1: No, absolutely. Yeah, so so as a, as a final piece, uh, where can people find you and the work that you're doing?
2: Great question. So I, the film Down with the King is a film I worked on during the height of COVID. We shot that October 2020 uh, in the Berkshires. It's being released by Sony Picture Classes, June 28th on digital and VOD. I am on most socials as Ecollection Media. So at Ecollection Media on Twitter and Instagram and then Stephanie Dawson on Facebook. Please connect. Please share your, your stories with me. Um, another project I worked on called Maya and Her Lover is currently on VOD. It, it was released, I believe, last fall. It's So what, Maya and Her Lover is a story about a woman who turns 40 and is trying to figure out her life and, and by doing all the wrong, th- wrong things, one of which is getting in, involved in a relationship with a 20-year-old. So <laughs> that, that's that, that rom-com uh, sexy dramedy kind of life and then Down with the King is about a hip hop artist who he, he's contemplating leaving the game and he goes off into this idyllic countryside and meets this farmer who also loves hip hop but is working with his hands all day and, and the work he's doing is feels more important than you know performing so it so it's a cool kind of like um examination of will, will I or will I will I do the thing I've always been doing or will I do a different path? And it was accepted at the Cannes um, Film Festival last year and it won the the Grand Prix at the Deauville Film Festival. So it's one I haven't seen. Yeah, it's great. I haven't seen the final film yet. I I remember being on set, but I will see it for the first (laughs) time on June 1st. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, so thank you for having me. I appreciate y'all having this, this podcast. And I hope that, um, if there's another topic like self-care or, you know, I, I'm also working with the Gotham on their EDU series of helping people in the production, production assistant space, how to, you know, prepare themselves for their careers. So if you want to talk about any, like how to get from point A to point B, I'm happy to, to come back, but thank you for having me. This was lovely and, and I hope people out there use the resources and, and help us fight to, to stop the the increasing threat of climate change. We can we can all do something. All right. Yes, I think
1: that's you. a great note to go out on. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening.
1: Links to learn more about them and our guests are in our episode description. And thank you to our Booby VIPs, who are our $10 supporters on Patreon. That's Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, anthony epp kelsey rauber and norman steinberg if you want your name on that list and or you want to have access to all of our bonus resources related to each and every podcast episode we post for free you can subscribe for as little as three dollars to our patreon at patreon.com slash breaking pod
0: or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month next episode we'll be discussing working as an intimacy coordinator with special guest camille Monet. be sure to tune in